Hello and welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. On today's episode, we're going to hear from Sarah Brown and Anna Sophia, who both work at the anti-trafficking organisation Stop the Traffic. I should say that the next few episodes of the podcast, we are going to move away from the anti-trafficking theme, which has so far been the principal subject matter of our first four shows, and cover a number of other subjects such as law, criminal justice system, prison reform, ethical businesses, um, transparent supply chains, etc. If I were a more patient man, I may have curated this first series of the podcast to give the listeners a more varied smorgasbord of content. But I'm not, and I have essentially put these out in the exact order in which they were recorded. So the next few will be on alternative justice-related subjects. But before our short anti-trafficking hiatus begins, we're going to stick with the subject of human trafficking and look at it from a slightly different angle with Stop the Traffic, who have a very unique approach in the way they combat this issue. I really enjoyed chatting with Sarah and Anna Sophia a couple of weeks ago about their lives and their work in this episode of the Justice and Coffee podcast. And I hope you enjoy it too. So welcome to the Justice and Coffee podcast. I've got two uh, guests with me in the studio today. It's the first time I've had two uh, come and join me in this space, so I'm I'm outnumbered here. But I want to welcome Sarah and Anna Sophia from Stop the Traffic onto the podcast. Welcome, ladies. Thank you very much, Bryn. Thank you. <laughs> Thank great. you for having us. <laughs> it's great to have you here. So in front of us, like um, listeners, you know the score, we try uh, and invite people into a comfy environment here so that we, I run a coffee company. That The idea of this is to talk a little bit about coffee at the start. But once again, I've invited two non-coffee drinkers <laughs> onto the show, which I'm really going to have to rethink this, aren't I? Um, you don't drink coffee, so it's pointless me asking you questions about flavours or, or, or how you drink it, when you drink it, why you drink it. I mean, I did say that if I had decaf coffee, I would drink it with hazelnut or vanilla. Oh, OK. Yeah, so it's got to be decaf, decaf and with hazelnut milk. Yeah, it can be hazelnut milk or oh, you mean you know, a those pump, syrups. a flavour yeah, pump. Okay, but so, like half a pump. So oh. basically, it doesn't involve caffeine and it doesn't taste like coffee. And you'll <laughs> exactly. you'll consider it. Well, we have done a cake. Cake we, in a cup. I've brought chocolate cake along with me because a little birdie. Anna Sophia, I'm looking at her through the microphone stands. Did tell me, Sarah, that is it's a favourite of yours. It is. It, in fact, it's the only cake I like. So people think I like cake and sweet things, but actually, it's just chocolate cake so when people turn up with carrot cake or victoria sponge i am the most disappointed person and you've waved weighed straight into it so that's yeah. good sometimes uh, yeah. they just sit here for the whole hour and no one actually goes you're at least a halfway through I'm, your I'm slice i'm almost finished we've got plenty more we've got plenty more where that came from she will finish it <laughs> sarah yes can i start with you of course. Would you be able to um, give the listeners like a high-level uh, description of who Stop the Traffic are and what they do? Yes, of course. So Stop the Traffic is an anti-human trafficking charity focused on preventing human trafficking, so not rescue or rehabilitation, more the prevention of human trafficking, trying to stop being trafficked in the first place. Um, 
It's been around since about 2005 um, and very focused on raising awareness, uh, getting people involved, getting collaboration, sh letting people know what's going on so that they can report or respond appropriately. That's really what it's always been about. And it's always been about that. But in the last, say, five or so years, we've recognised the benefits of data and technology. So we're bringing that piece into the whole organisation as well. Data and technology is one of the reasons I wanted to bring you guys in, actually, is, is um, I'm trying to educate myself on, on, on the different responses to this issue of human trafficking, modern-day slavery. So I'm often looking for an opportunity to sit down with someone, have a coffee and have a chat. And we met, didn't we, a few months ago, um, and I asked you to, to break, um, a, you know, break any uh, a barrier to my, my understanding of, of what that means, what Stop the Traffic do, and how this this issue of using technology and data and tracking intelligence um, from across the world to, to paint a picture. Where does that factor into the world of, of NGO working? So I'm not asking that question now. <laughs> I was about to say, well, that's a, that's yeah, a tough one. That's a tough one, yeah. Just, just, just define that in a couple of minutes, yeah, could you, and then we'll yeah. um, move on. No, we can come back to that and I'll give you slightly <laughs> when I've had more cake. lighter um, um, questions. But I do wonder, and I'm sticking with you for now, Sarah. Thanks. As I try and balance this collective podcast for the first time. Yeah, how did you, you know, what's your role title at Stop the Traffic and how did you come to be there? So my role title is Head of Research and Intelligence. I joined Stop the Traffic about three years ago. Uh, I came to be there because I had volunteered on and off with Stop the Traffic since 2012. Okay. So they did a, a, a campaign with... The, during the Olympics with UN GIFT, which is the Global Initiative to Fight of Fighting Trafficking. Um, and I was a volunteer. So uh, that's how I got involved. And then over the years, I just carried on uh, whenever I was free, seeing if they needed anything doing, and then uh, eventually saw a job on there. I was like, oh, that sounds so interesting because mm. it was so different. And so I applied for it. So when you were a volunteer, you know, what were you getting paid in another job? What, what were you doing to... No, uh, I, no, no, no. <laughs> so um, usually it would be that I'd been off travelling somewhere and I'd been volunteering overseas and then I would come home, yeah. say, to London in the summer and then I would go, oh, I wonder if Stop the Traffic needs any help with anything oh, okay. and I'd, I'd go and see. So. so it was someone you went to when there was a gap or a plenary in your life between stages? Yeah. I looked up, I always try and do my due diligence before bringing people onto the show, um, and I looked on your LinkedIn profile. I saw uh, that you spent, like, was it six months in Guatemala leading treks? Yeah, yes. That's so pretty cool. I've had a bit of a diverse background. So um, I, I spent a period of about two or three years um, after I gave up my career, which I'm sure we're going to bring up at some point, <laughs> uh, um, and I went travelling around Latin America predominantly. Yes. Um, and... I ended up my last piece of time over there uh, when I was actually doing volunteering was in Guatemala and I did. I lived there for seven months seven and I months. spent five of those months um, being a volcano and mountain guide, wow. uh, a volunteer. So all the money went to a charity looking after street kids. Wow. Um, but yeah, so yeah. Remarkable experience. It was amazing. Yeah. Really amazing. How cool. Yeah. And now you are working for an anti-trafficking NGO. I am, and I think some of that experience in Guatemala has led to that. Um, right. There was a huge femicide rate. Um, I did some volunteering in a domestic violence refuge. Mm. Um, I was just talking to people 
about some of the horrific crimes that were going on and also that that uh, trafficking route through Central America mm. up into North America. Um, and it just brought it all home. It was something I thought I understood a little bit about, but I just, the actual reality of it and that it's so in your face there um, really brought home how passionate I was about trying to end um, abuses such as such as human trafficking. Yeah. It's interesting you mention the trafficking route through South and Central America because I'm sitting opposite a woman <laughs> from Central America. Mexico is actually North America. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a biggest misconception, so I'll Shot give it to down. you. <laughs> oh, Anna, no, you've made me look silly. Tell me about, um, tell me about your background and, and how come you're sat here with us in, in Central London. So, yeah, I mean, I'm the lead analyst at Stop the Traffic. Sarah is my boss, my lovely ah, boss. Okay. Lovely Sundays. Other days. <laughs> yeah. Other days, not so much. This is No, yeah. So, yeah, my background is I am from Mexico. I was born there, grew up there, went to uni there. I studied law. Um, and I, when I finished law, I started working at a corporate law firm. Yes. And it was just not fulfilling. I mean, a lot of people love it, and I respect that. But for me, just the first week I knew that it was not what I wanted to do. But I stayed there just because you're building your CV and yeah. Mexico is a very um, rigid, similar to the U.S. You pick something and you stick to that and yes. build your CV and everything is like that. Whereas here, people studying one thing and then work in another thing and everyone's kind of open to change. Um, mm. Mexico is not like that. Mm. So I just stuck to that. But after yeah, like two years, I just couldn't do it anymore. So I studied my LLM in Boston. And then when I was looking for a job in um, anti-money laundering, I came across a master's in the, in London that was on countering organized crime and terrorism. Um, and since I lived through the harsh um, organized crime, drug, war years yeah. in Mexico, I it, it was just very close to me and I wanted to do that. So that's how I got here and then studied that. Um, went on to work for a human rights law firm in, um, I was part of the, an accountability panel for Sri Lanka, post-war transitional justice. Wow. And then I was volunteering for an organization that works with, um, women that have been under exploitative situations. And they asked me, it was just very basic stuff that I was doing, whatever they needed. And they asked me to put together a list of the organizations that, worked on anti-human trafficking in London right. and I came across Stop That Traffic and because it had the word data I was like oh that's interesting <laughs> so I went in there and I saw that there was a an analyst vacancy and I applied um, and yeah got the job wow yeah and is that fairly recent or have you been been at Stop the Traffic a while for now? a year okay so yeah just starting my second year. so you're oh you're just going into year two so year you had two. your first year anniversary and all is well yes it was a couple of days ago actually hey! Hey! Anniversary. I did celebrate though I did celebrate good yeah. and you've got a spectacular boss haven't you so. yeah I do. I do I actually do you're very fortunate to be fair her boss celebrated that she's <laughs> for another year any excuse <laughs> yeah any excuse that's it wasn't coffee. <laughs> I, um, you mentioned so very briefly about the fact that you were potentially put onto that issue of justice, injustice, human rights um, from part of your background, right? Yeah. Experiencing it um, in the geography of where you grew up. 
Can you tell me a little bit, a little bit more about that? I mean, what what part of Mexico did you live in? And, yeah. and you very casually sort of mentioned the fact yeah. that it's known for for corruption and drug crime and, and cartels and organised criminal activity. And you know, so you were exposed yeah. to that uh, quite quite normally, right? Yeah, it's just normal. I, I guess when people ask, like, when did you start uh, becoming interested in injustice, or mm. the answer, I think, for every anyone who has lived in a Latin American country or a developing country, will always say just always <laughs> like it's embedded in everything we do and it's something that you're aware of at a very very early stage I've all, always had a very soft spot towards injustice in particular you know people that are have more money or are more powerful in like a, a job professional thing and they just treat people horribly um, and you get away with that yeah. way of treating people in Latin America unfortunately uh, that you don't see here. Like, I'm always surprised with all the, the homelessness issue here and seeing how people offer them tea and ask, which kind of tea? One sugar? And I, I actually sometimes stop and I'm, I, I, that doesn't happen in Mexico. Mm. We don't, um, well, obviously I'm generalizing, but a lot of people don't treat people that are in different circumstances as an equal person. Yeah. So that has always been a soft spot for me. I also... Obviously, I come from, well, not obviously, no, but I come from a more privileged background in Latin America. And I did go to university um, in a university that's with a, that has a lot of rich kids um, which with very privileged backgrounds. So just going out to the club was an experience in itself, seeing mm. how they would treat, you know, the, the waiters. And, the, mm. and yeah, I would always just be so ashamed. Going out to the club? Yeah. What do, you, what do you mean by going out to the club? You go out to the club and... What's the club? Would you mean like a nightclub? Like a nightclub. Oh, okay. And if you have money, you have a table um, and you have a bottle. Right. Well, that's pretty similar here. Yeah. yeah. But then the people who wait to you, who, yeah. who help you, yeah. um, they would just treat them terribly. Like they would tell them, I will give you a very big tip, but you are like at my service. Yeah. And that service means service um, until they want to end the night. And it's quite... It's just an aggressive way of treating people. So that was always very shocking to me. And I, I just remember being so uncomfortable in those situations. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess injustice, yeah, just everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can think of a thousand. I mean, I could just yeah, make you guys no, it was depressed right. with it was this nice story. Yeah. 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 Injustice everywhere. 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 Um, <laughs> so that's all we've got time for on the... <laughs> no, of course not. Um, Sarah... Yeah. I mean, you can't say that that was the same reason you came to get involved in, in this issue, right? I mean, where did it start for you? Was it from your childhood or is it something as recent as, as the last few years of your life? It's quite a strange one um, because when I was at school, um, a group of friends, we were talking about what we might do when we're older or when we leave school. And uh, there were four of us. So I'm not going to say what the other three said because that's not fair. Um, but they pretty much all came true as well. But even at that time, I think we were 16, 17. And I said, you know what? I'll probably get some meaningless, well-paid job mm. that I'll do for a while until I realise I can't do this anymore and then I'm going to do something more worthwhile with my yeah. life. Um, and uh, amazingly, that's exactly what happened. What a prediction. Yeah. yeah. And, and the fact that four of us, we all did that. So for me, it was that I, I think um, it was quite a funny story. <laughs> I just remember at a very young age watching things on TV around war and famine. Um, and I don't know why, but for some reason, the the whole, you know, when Live Aid was on and the, the Ethiopian famine, the, when it first came on our screens in the 80s, um, it really got to me. And I was pretty young then. Um, mm. 
You must have been, 1984. Yeah, I I must have been about one. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) No. Uh, But anyway, so I was really, really moved by this. And and it wasn't until I thought about it that I remembered this. And and so I, uh, one of the things that I did as a child was I actually put a food package together and put it in an envelope and uh, stuck a stamp on it probably just a second-class stamp, and wrote to the poor, starving people, Addis Ababa, and put it in the post box. Bless your little heart. Oh, bless my little heart. So I'm sure it got there. <laughs> and I'm sure it really helped. That's so, so sweet. Uh, yeah, so sweet, but not very impactful, I wouldn't say. Um, so I think, despite not being involved uh, in, in charity till I was uh, in my 30s uh, properly, mm. I feel I have always had that mm. sense of... Um, Worrying about others and, and inequality and, mm. and, and, and seeing it on the TV and, mm. and thinking about it. Um, and then, like I said, once I did give up my career after 15 years of working um, as a trader in the A trader? Don't look so sad, Sarah. Destroying the world. <laughs> well, one day yeah, at a time. well, definitely destroying the world because <laughs> I was an energy trader. So, <laughs> yeah, literally wow. destroying the world. Mm. Uh, no. That's not fair. <laughs> uh, yeah. So when I finally came to my senses and yeah. gave that up, that's when I did the travelling around Latin America. Yeah. Um, I'd always wanted to, to travel. That was mine. Yeah, by the right? way, that wasn't mine. It wasn't mine. Yeah. It's on airplane mode. That is yeah. inexcusable <laughs> of me after I asked at the start, you know, just put your phones on silent. <laughs> Forgive me. Back on airplane mode. You are forgiven. Um, we're back exactly where we were we before We were somewhere in Latin America. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and I think I'd always had the travel, the idea that I would travel, but I left university, got a job, you know, just fell into the to that kind of mm. wheel mm. Um, without really standing up and looking around. And once I stood up and looked around, I went, I don't want to do this with my life. This, wow. is, this is not helping anybody. Yeah. This is making money for people who already have money. This yeah. is making inequality worse. Um I've got to do something else. So yeah. the travelling made me rethink, you know, it was to clear my head. But then when I was there, I saw so many examples of, of inequality and injustice, yeah. like Anna Sophia was mentioning, that it just I just realised that was really what it what was it what it was I was interested in. Travelling is so important, yeah. isn't it? You yeah. Know, and we, we almost take it for granted, some of us and, and we you know we, We've both all identified in some way during this conversation that we're privileged people, you know, and we yeah. have the opportunity to travel some people around the world, even if they wanted to and all could afford to. The country simply won't have them due to due to where they're coming from. But we we are so fortunate to to be able to travel and it just it just opens your eyes, doesn't it? It changes your view on life, your perspective on life. Yeah. It's so I'll always encourage people to use their passports as often as they possibly can and, and if they can do it as cheaply as possible, great. But do it. Break the borders, right? Go and see what life is like somewhere else. I, I also think what you said about or what you described is is rang a bell with me, Julia uh, Immanen came on our very first podcast and she used this phrase, she's got these brilliant phrases and one of them is, um, where my passion is my paycheck, you know, and all three of us actually at this moment are sitting around a table and this was something I identified, you know, the issue of injustice, human trafficking, modern day slavery or whatever iteration or version of injustice it might be and actually we're now employed in, in our own capacities in some way to, 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 to engage with that issue where our passion, you know, is our paycheck. I, I love that. Would you tell me a little bit, um, I'll stick with you, Sarah. Um, we're going back into the topic of, of your employer, uh, Stop the Traffic. Yeah. And 
Yeah, so, so how they approach things that's, that's different to potentially other NGOs that, that work in this space. You, you touched on it the, at the start of the podcast. Maybe you can tell me a little more about um, this use of, of intelligence and data because there was some crossover from your previous job, was there? Yeah, so, I mean, in my previous job, I had to do a lot of analysing of data, uh, looking at demand and supply, and that comes very much into the human trafficking. I mean, mm. if the demand wasn't there, then they wouldn't need the supply. Um, and there's money involved in trafficking, the mm. money involved in my, my old career. So, yes, I did have to do a lot of analysis of data. It was just very different data. Um, whereas now what I'm looking at is the, the movement of people yeah. and the exploitation of people. Then I was looking more at, you know, economic data and weather and, and, and things like that. So, yeah, there is some overlap, but obviously very different yeah. content. Um, so, and, and like Anna Sophia said, it was because I was looking at Stop the Traffic you know, just seeing what they were doing, and I saw something that said data in it, it really piqued my interest. I'm like, right, I've never really, in all my experience of working with NGOs, have I come across a, someone that's actually employing someone to deal with data. Yeah. So um, that got me quite excited, yeah. which is quite worrying. Yeah. That data got me excited. Yeah. <laughs> I must have a though. very boring life. <laughs> I don't judge uh, you. Yeah. <laughs> is it the same for you, Anna Sophia? Yeah, definitely. I mean, as in, it still gets me excited. <laughs> or as in, <laughs> what? <laughs> With that, that's what caught your attention? That, that... Yeah, it caught my attention because my the countering organized crime masters that I did was very data oriented. Mm. And being a lawyer by training, I was used to a completely different way of thinking. Mm. And after, I always say that after I saw what data does, mm. I couldn't unsee it. Mm. Um, and I know that, you know, that's how we analyze so many things, poverty, how we measure so many things and human trafficking is not measured like that. And it, I understand why it's so complex to to do, but we have to at least try. Um so, yeah, it's definitely... Do you fun. think our data is accurate at the moment? I mean... Mm, no, the, you see, that's the question about any data, is, is data accurate? I think, I think what I love about the job and what we're trying to do at Stop the Traffic is that recognising that there are gaps yeah. and that there are issues and there are problems, but that we've got to start somewhere mm -hmm. and that yeah. we are all in our infancy doing this. And so long as we admit that... And we recognise there might be skews or bias or flaws. Yeah. That doesn't mean you should stop doing it. It means you should identify those gaps and try to fill them and yeah. try to make it better. Um, and you can only do that by working together because yeah. Stop the Traffic's never going to be the source of all knowledge and no one's going to be the source of all information or knowledge. So the more that we work with other people to bring different expertise, different knowledge, different information into one place, then we can hopefully get data that is... Yeah, more accurate, more reliable. Um, and more and, in time, yeah, in and, real time. And more in real time. Yeah, 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 up to date. I mean, there was that statistic that first came out uh, following a home office study about the amount of people in the UK yeah. that they, they estimated would be a you know, victim to human trafficking, modern day slavery. It was like 12,000, 13,000. 12,000, yeah. And probably triple that. Right. You yeah. know, another stat came out four years later, yeah. 2018, for some more work. With, uh, maybe we're looking at 130 plus thousand. But, you know, that's a, that's a 10 times, yeah. you know, yeah. um, statistic I, jump. I, isn't I it? think what's important is that you don't necessarily need to concentrate on prevalence. On, on on numbers. I think people like headline numbers, yeah. and they do help. Don't get me wrong. Headline numbers help to get people's attention to say this is a problem. Yeah. You know. Um, but I think you know what we're doing is trying to look at what's 
what's making people vulnerable, mm. how are they being targeted, who they're being targeted by, why they're being targeted, mm. how they're being moved, what type of exploitation is going on. Mm. That's the sort of information that's really useful. And then you can identify where you might be able to run an initiative or a programme mm. mm-hmm. to prevent that from happening. Um, and to do that, you don't you don't necessarily need this many number of people. I think a lot of people recognise now that you could probably throw a dart yeah. at a world map and you'll probably hit a trafficking hotspot. Yeah. Um, so whether it's 10,000 yeah. or a million, yeah. it, it doesn't really matter. Yeah, identifying those trends is important, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. Like, that's yeah. not... I mean, it's amazing that you're doing it and, and as an organisation you're making that something that you know you represent but crime maps aren't a new thing are they you know i remember in the police would have crime maps and 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 there'd be departments that would try and map you know what's going on in certain neighborhoods and areas if you're going to move there and you're thinking yeah. about buying a house you can look it up on the internet or what's the crime hotspots in that area but it's well, it's good it's relieving to know that actually we're looking at that at a global scale and and we are identifying trends i mean are there you know, if you do you have case studies to hand, or or, or that come off the top of your the, the head, or about how you've managed as an organisation to identify uh, trends or, or patterns from from the work you're doing with data. That's quite a tough one, isn't yeah. it? Because yeah, there's yeah. a few. Do you want to start? No, I'll start and then <laughs> you'll yeah. be the cherry on using uh, seniority. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have to use it when we. Yeah. Um, so I think that an important thing for us is to be intelligence-led, which mm. is, you know, if we're going to throw that dart, do it intelligently. Yeah. So we definitely, the main core of our work leading up to an intervention, to a campaign, to something, is making sure that we actually know which type of exploitation is taking place, who are the most vulnerable there, um, what mes- type of messaging will work for them, crafting appropriate responses. Mm. And that's at a core of what we do. So we do try to make sure that before we do any sort of campaign, we do so intelligently. Hmm. Um, so I'll let Tara give you some examples. <laughs> <laughs> She's the nice boss. On. Nice one, <laughs> hospital pass. Yeah. Um, so I think we've done several campaigns where we'll look at we'll look at routes. We'll look at not just one location, but we'll try and see where have people come from, where have they where have they passed through. Yeah. So that's that's the sort of um, trend and in information that we're looking at. So we can identify places along the route that we might be able to help yeah. and intervene. Um, but we will change, you know, if if we've got information that's telling us one thing, we will always go and corroborate that uh, on the ground. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we ran a we ran a campaign uh, looking. This is a couple of years ago, looking at Nigeria yes. through Libya into Italy. Yeah, I read about that. Yeah, yeah. That was fascinating. Yeah, and that was before the the whole slave CNN article about the slave trade going mm. on in in plain sight in Libya mm. was was going on there. Um, but we had to really be intelligent about the different messages we had in each in each country. Yeah. So there was no point telling um, Nigerians that they were probably going to be trafficked or they, the women might end up in the, you know, sex work. Yeah. Um, um, that wasn't the message that was going to get through in, in Nigeria. And the message in Italy at the other end is different because you're already there. Yes. So it's, it's, you've got to really think about that. And that's how we use the data that we've got, but also corroborating that with people on the ground and saying, right, what are the, what are the trends and patterns that you're seeing? Where is it that people are being recruited? How are they being recruited? Yeah. Um, and interestingly enough, what we'll do as a campaign goes is is if we're getting information in, up-to-date information, yeah. we will t- tweak 
the campaign so that we can focus on a slightly different demographic or mm. change the mes message slightly mm. so that we are re responding and reacting to that. So we're not set on, right, this is a pattern that we've seen and that's that. Yes. You know, you've got to, you've got to be responsive. So you, you can only do what you do with the information that you've got, yeah. but you've got to then go and corroborate what you're seeing yeah. um, and, and identify uh, how you can best... Um, counteract that trafficking yeah. that's going yeah. on in that place. And one of those countermeasures for you guys, you mentioned campaigns, so you, you deliver some sort of campaign or some awareness programme, is it? Yeah. So we deliver social media awareness campaigns. Right. So I always use the same example. But, you know, when you buy, when you're Googling some pants or shirt or, or whatever you want. Always Googling pants. Well, yeah. pants. Pants is pants. underpants here, right? Yes, it's underpants. Oh, well, well, it could be underpants. Trousers. <laughs> I'm not judging. Trousers. Oh, sorry, sorry. Trousers. So... <laughs> Well, we all buy, most of us I mean, buy underpants too. And I've been using the word pants in my presentation, so it's too late now anyway. Um, so yeah, if you're Googling some trousers or whatever, and then you don't buy them, and then next day you get, you're scrolling through your Facebook or your Instagram and you get the same trousers right. you were Googling. That is weird, isn't it? It's super weird, but, yeah. but it can be used for good as well. So we do something similar with the campaigns where we create a one-minute video approximately, um, intelligence-led video with all of the information that we gathered for the previous months and we craft this very uh, locally appropriate message in the in the local language etc and we target certain people that we know are most vulnerable based on the research and they get in their Facebooks and in their Instagrams huh. this video wow. with, so on, the, on their news feed yeah, yeah, rather yeah. than just on yeah. yeah how do you identify sorry how do you identify them as vulnerable from I mean, based on the research. So yeah. from that research, yeah, so yeah. Certain, certain age groups, certain geographies. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. Certain cities. That is interesting. And the video is never kind of, you know, telling them what to do. It's more an informative, hmm. know your rights video. Like if you're planning to go to the UK, know that here you have to be paid this amount of money. You have to work this amount of hours, etc. So they are armed with a bit more knowledge that if they just came here without seeing that campaign. Yeah. yeah. It's funny, I think of, um, I think we probably all think of, you know, people scraping data off us as, a, an, you know, a nefarious trade. You yeah. know, it's, I watched a great documentary the other day about Cambridge Analytica and, and their influence on political campaigns and we're becoming aware of it, aren't we? You know, I have two of those um, devices in my house where I, I call out a name and ask for like the time. Ooh, I won't oh, let them yeah. in. No. We don't let, I won't let those in well. my house. Wouldn't have terrible, either. isn't it? Because yeah. they must know all sorts. <laughs> well, they do. They keep putting articles out about, uh, about it. Do they? I need to get rid of them? I would say uh, so. To start looking at my own watch instead of asking for the time to, or setting my own alarm. Yeah. I mean, how uh, inconvenient. Turn your own lights off. <laughs> how so are you going to isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> no, it's interesting and, and, and I think people are becoming aware of it but it's almost like like, whoa, can I, is there still time to reverse it? Having said that, you know, it's great to hear of a positive use of yeah. that information. Mm -hmm. That's the thing. I think um, data can be, and information sharing can be very scary words, and rightly so, have some negative connotations. Mm. Um, but done carefully and in the right way can actually be done done you know used, used for good so yeah. tar targeting people not in a i'm trying to sell you something but in that we're just trying to raise your awareness slightly so you're better prepared you can you can make more informed choices yeah. um you know and then if, if you have arrived somewhere you know so, so trying to do it upstream before people have traveled but then if people have traveled that there's still a way there's still hope there's still help mm. um for them to to reach out to it's interesting you both referenced there like making people aware 
bringing information, but not being instructive. Yeah. Or so what? 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 What's the science behind that? Do people naturally just go? Well, sorry, I don't need to be told. Thank you very much about this. But if they're almost sort of informed in a different way, in a less direct, yeah. obtuse, right? Well, Is I think nobody some likes some study to be gone t- into that. Yeah, so nobody yeah. likes to be told, do they? So, yeah. but, but I think particularly with a human trafficking or exploitative situation. Um, People don't often recognise themselves or identify as a victim. Huh. Also, if you use very strong language and scare tactics, they're not going to identify with that situation. Huh. So they'll be more likely to say, that'll never happen to me. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so if you make it shocking and unbelievable... Sensational. Uh, and sensational, yeah. exactly. Um, people are less likely to identify it, with it. If you allow people to just know, to be, to be better informed, yeah. they can then decide themselves if they're being exploited. Yeah. And then you've just got to make sure that you don't just leave them hanging there, that there are ways that they can go and get help. You know, there are local people who speak in their language that they can go and speak to if they're concerned about it. But there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of shame that comes with, you know, being exploited. People don't mm. want to admit that they've yes. fallen for a trick or, mm-hmm. yes. you know, and a lot of the recruitment, it's tricking people, grooming people. Yes. Uh, and you don't want to admit that, do you? Whereas, yeah. and, and, and you don't want someone pointing at you going, you're a victim. Yes. It just isn't a nice uh, approach. Yeah. Mm. So we find it much, much more successful to take that more... Um, gentle approach and that more informative approach than that kind of labeling approach. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also important for us to, you know, not be like the moral police or yeah. immigration, like because one of the perks of working at an NGO is that you don't have to be yeah. that. So we are just free um, to communicate in a way that we're on their side. We don't want them to get exploited. We don't want them to get trafficked. So what's the best thing is starting by not judging them because they're going to travel or because they're planning on, you know, putting more hours in or whatever. We just want them to have a bit more information, which is breaching that knowledge gap. Yeah. Yeah. We want people to travel, but travel as safely and as as informed as possible. Yeah. And when you you partner with... I mean, I, I presume um, you partner with other NGOs around the world to say, hey, listen, there's an, we've identified this issue in, in this area and we understand you, you work there. You know, so, I mean, collaboration is so key, isn't it, for us so tackling key. this issue? And so key, yeah. Do you feel that, you, you know, you've had success doing that? There's I, obviously challenges, I aren't there? I think so. There'll always be challenges, and particularly if you're coming in and they, they've never heard of you and they don't know what you're doing. But because we've been in this game quite a lot a long time and because we've been doing this data and campaigns for quite a few years now um we can show evidence so we can say to people this is what we've done in other areas this is this has been the results um these are people that we've worked with in other areas and this is why and we can we can say why it's mutually beneficial and the fact that it's all collaborative so we would never come in and say this is what we've seen this is what our data says, therefore we're right. Yes. We come in and we say, this is what we've found yeah. from our research with sources that they may not have access to, but what are you seeing on the ground? Yes. Do you agree? You know, Are you corroborating this? Or if they tell us something completely different, no, actually, this is what's happening now, um, we totally take that on board. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's, and we, anything that we find out from, through a campaign or while developing a campaign... We will feed that back into the community and feed yeah. that back to our partners so that they can use that information, yeah. um, be it for their own, to make them more targeted, but yeah. also if they need to lobby, you know, if it's international, they need to lobby a government and say, look, this is the problem that's happening. We can provide some of that evidence and show that these sorts of initiatives actually are having impact. 
that's amazing. And I, I was thinking whilst you were talking about how it must be difficult. I mean, most most charities and NGOs obviously have a, a variety of funding sources. Some will be government funding, some will be uh, reliant on businesses or, or major donors or public awareness campaigns or crowdfunding, whatever. But it's people love to invest in stories, don't they? And and I mean, I I give to charity, you know, and I I, I work for a charity, and I taken donations to support our business and and um i try and communicate stories because people connect with stories you know stories are so important and and that's ultimately why we're all doing this aren't we but but from the, your positioning as an organization it must be difficult actually if you're not the because i think what you're doing is invaluable it is incredibly uh, important and it sounds effective too but if you're not being able to say, hey, guys, we just put a door through yeah, on, a, yeah. on a rescue last week and we rescued all these children. Wow. Where can I sign my direct debit? You know, is that a difficulty? Yeah. God, that must be a challenge because yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge. And we find that everyone, everyone wants to see a victim, yeah. which is, is wrong on many levels, yeah. uh, particularly as it can be re, can re-traumatise that victim. Yeah. But um as we know, that sells newspapers. That's you know that tweaks heartstrings. Mm. So it's very difficult it to hard. come from prevention piece because you're not you're not doing it. It's also very hard to measure prevention. So that's yeah. why we've had a monitoring evaluation specialist working with us. Oh wow! Internally. What to be able to quantify? Two years, oh to, gosh! To, yeah. to exactly to evaluate and and quantify our impact that we've been having, mm. um, and 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 also to learn and so that we can implement our learning because that's also really important. But what we we have found we can do through uh, pre and post campaign surveys and just talking to people is get those stories about changed behaviour, which yeah. is so exciting. And yeah. people people do recognise that. So if you can say, you know, there was one where we got, I think it was 40% of, of respondents to the survey post campaign said that they would do things differently next time or they would think about things or ask some questions next time before they did anything, which is great if we can just... If that many people who've looked at it, that percentage, are saying that they will do something differently and their behaviours have changed because of it, then that's fantastic yeah. for us. Yeah. Um, we have also had cases where we've given um, frontline training to like staff in, in banks and we've put leaflets out in the branches and people have actually come forward. Now, this is interesting Yeah. because... In part of my last-minute due diligence process, oh, yeah. I, I saw you, um, Sarah Brown. Me personally. Yes. <laughs> what was I doing? In front of I a, dread to a think. major periodical. Uh, I don't know what it was called. I don't know the North Norfolk Gazette or something. Oh yeah, probably yeah. But it was talking about working with a, a bank, um, and that data had actually shown that it was uh, certain areas of the country um, were, were, were hot spots for a Lithuanian community, which I found really interesting because one of them areas was Kings Lynn, which is where my dad works. No so, way. Yeah, I was just there the other day. Amazing. Probably yeah. getting my photo taken for a minute by another. The Long Sutton Gazette, I think. Oh, is that what it was? <laughs> yeah. yeah. People must stop you in the street. Yeah, they do. Chase, I got chased on the way here. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's really interesting because you don't think of parts of the country like Kings Lynn and the Wash and as being areas of hot spots for trafficking. Right, and and so that's an education piece even for us in the UK, isn't yeah. it? We think of areas of Africa, India, South America. Yeah. Who thinks about Kings Lynn? Yeah, do you know we what I mean? do. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. wow, great. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that you've hit on a really key point there, is that um, people in the US, UK, Europe, they tend to think it doesn't happen here. It yeah. doesn't happen here. Yeah. It happens over there to other people. We've really got to get that message across that this happens in your country and it also happens to British citizens. Yeah. Um, 
it's important to to make people aware of that. I'm glad you're getting that that message out. It's us and the and the what was it? Long what's the Gazette? <laughs> we're trying long, long, long try to get your message out to yeah. the masses. Yeah. One of the things I noticed in, in my research was some partnerships you have with with obviously really recognised names like Facebook and IBM. There's a lot of negative stories about Facebook, at least. So it's really encouraging to read something that's positive about their their engagement with with you guys. How have you gone about forging those relationships and, and developing trust between between you and them in terms of of working on a project like what you do? I think often you start quite slow, don't you? You get those introductions, and everyone's going to be slowly, slowly, softly, softly. Yeah. Um, and then it's really about demonstrating to them that whatever they've helped you with, be it technology, be it credits for social media, um, that we can show the va- what, what value we've got out of that mm. um, and prove to them that it would help if they carried on mm. uh, supporting us in that way. Mm. Um, and that's, that's all you can do is just say, right, this is the, this is the impact and then, and then show the value of the relationship, not just to us, but to them. Yeah. So it's, it's a good news story for them if we can come back and say, you know, we've used, we've done this with you, and therefore this happened. Yeah. It's good for you, and it's good for us. Besides working with banks in the UK, what other sort of businesses or enterprises do you work with over here? Um, we work with not Anasphere and I personally, but we have people that work with businesses looking at their supply chains, yes, and looking at their risk there. Um, and we work with law enforcement and and the usual, um, you know, sharing information with them. Um, and, and doing joint trainings and things like that. Uh, and like we said, the financial institutions. Financial, follow the money, right? Well, that's it, exactly. One stat that's always bandied about, and uh, that's probably out of date now as well, is, <laughs> is that it's a $150 billion business, yeah. uh, human trafficking. Yeah. So uh, that's a huge number. Um, and so if you're not following the money, if you're not working with financial institutions, then you're not going to stop this because the traffickers are not doing it just for fun. They're doing it because it's profitable and they're doing it because it's very low risk for them at the moment. Yeah. And if we can't get information and up-to-date information that can shine a light on them and make them more uncomfortable, yes. um, then we're not going to win this. Yeah. And the way to make them more, one way to make them more uncomfortable, I'm not saying it's the only way, but one way to make them more uncomfortable is to cut off their money. Yeah. Get them where it hurts. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's um, a piece of legislation called the Proceeds of Crime Act, and we used to use that in the police. It was yeah. literally one of the very best tools we had. You know, once there's evidence that someone has been profiting, uh, you know, their ill-gotten gains that we can freeze and shut down their, their finances, and it's almost far more impactful than sending them to prison in yeah. certain cases. You know, it's just putting a freeze on freeze on their finances, and, and the onus of, of proof is on them to prove actually what they got is was legally obtained. Yeah, so not the other way around. Yeah. Going after the money is, is, is key. Do... do, do and I'm thinking it must have come up in your your studies when you were doing a certain degree of um, uh, yeah studying organised crime, and um, I certainly have touched on issues of what's it um, AML anti money laundering yeah. legislation, counter terrorism financing. Do we have a similar? Uh, I don't know. Uh, can we use the same legislation um, to to counter issues uh, in in like you say 150 billion dollar industry of human trafficking? Then we have for for counter terrorism for investigating counter terrorism financing and. Uh, anti-money laundering regulation. Yeah, you can definitely freeze assets because they're proceeds of crime. Um, I think one of the main issues is that a lot of people still use cash or will always go back to cash as regulation improves mm. and more checks are you know, put in certain things. They go back to cash, which is hard to trace. Yes. Um, 
But yeah, you can definitely freeze those ones. Yeah, I, I'm, um, I'm just wondering what what we can do. You know, hearing what what you guys have talked about today and and the amazing work stops traffic. To those listening, uh, and maybe those, and there's so probably only a few of them, um, <laughs> but at the, the sound of the word data, there is don't prick up in the same way uh, that yours both did. Um, I mean, they turned off in the first <laughs> five minutes. <laughs> yeah, data, no, not no, this one. This is the wrong one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but to those of, the, to those of them uh, are still with us, what can we do? Um, like, what can we do to respond to... Um, you know these issues uh, that you've brought about, and what could you, and uh, what can we do to support you guys? Actually, so well, many ways. Um, one of them is we have an app. It's called the Stop App. You can find it in Google and. Can I say the actual names, right? Yeah, <laughs> I think so. Yeah, I don't think they'll be in, on our case. In Google and Apple. We're worried about advertising. <laughs> Google and Apple. Okay, well, maybe we can get some sponsorship money off them now they've mentioned yeah, it, exactly. right? Yeah. So it's an app um, aimed just at the general public. You can download it on your phone, and it's to report any suspicions that you may have of suspicious behavior. Okay. So it's not meant to... Um, you know, be used if it's an emergency, you you call the police yes. if you see something like in the moment. Um, but it's just, you know, so many people, because it's a difficult issue to understand, so many people will report things like, oh, I, I think I saw that, but I'm not 100% sure. And you don't want to waste, you know, resources calling the police or whatever. So they report it to us. Okay. Um, it's basically a free text sort of like sending a text message of what you saw and then that goes to us directly to Sarah and I and the research and intelligence team and we kind of filter that and then we disseminate it to the relevant authorities so we see who should be re receiving that report yeah. so that's definitely a way and it, and in areas where um it isn't safe to report to authorities we work with NGOs on the ground partners yeah. that we have to to try and help the person who's made the report and connect them with them. Yeah. So it's a, it's a global tool. Yeah. The Stop app. The Stop yeah. app. And we definitely do get a, quite a lot of reports. We right. were just talking today about since January this year, so January 2019, we've um, triaged like 80, more than 80 reports wow. out. So we definitely do something with what comes in. Um, I think another one would be donating. <laughs> Give us the money, please. Yeah, of course. It's, Our website. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's absolutely right. If this is something people are passionate about, best way to, you know, exercise that passion is to sign a direct debit. Yeah. What, um, you know, using that app, I'm thinking, what should people be looking out for if they if they are, you know, they've got the app in hand and they think they've encountered something suspicious. It's a difficult question to ask. I apologise because it's such a broad thing, and we could talk about car wash, we could talk about nail salon, we could yep. talk about agricultural, you know. But but what, generally speaking, what are the signs of uh, of someone might be a victim of human trafficking? That what are they looking out for? I think a really probably key one that you can use generically for for most situations is if they look like they're not in control, like somebody is controlling them, hmm. uh, somebody is kind of telling them what to do or or speaking for them or watching their every move type of thing, and they don't seem to have freedom of movement, that's mm. a really quite obvious one. There could be physical signs of, you know, um, abuse as well, so mm. uh, untreated uh, injuries and things like that, particularly if they're brought into A&E and, and they look like they've had injuries that have been untreated, so mm. people can keep an eye out yeah. for that. 
or if you notice that someone is dropping them off at a certain certain location, mm. um, happens a lot in you know criminal exploitation. Um, another one could be if they seem to be disoriented or they don't know where they are or mm. where they're from or where they came from, um, which a lot of people sometimes don't believe or like, how can you not know where you are? Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't know where they are because they were, you know, transported in lorries or in other ways. So you don't know yeah. where you landed. Um, it's interesting you say that, isn't it? I wondered whether this would come up today, but... You know, transported in lorries this week. Um, sorry, this probably isn't going to go out for a few weeks, this podcast, but, but well, it's actually Halloween today, 31st of October. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, but, uh, you know, last week in the UK, there was a very uh, sad case that came about that uh, 39 people uh, were found dead in the back of, uh, of a lorry in a storage container that was on a lorry at a UK port. And it's, it's one of those moments in time where I think, you know, it was on the front page of every newspaper wasn't it Mm -hmm. Uh, we're now beginning to find out little bits more information about you know the routes that 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 lorry has taken and and those people have uh you know where they've come from i think the latest thing i read was a suggestion that they have vietnamese origin and but it's bang it was on our it was in dartford you know it was in essex it was in our ports this is coming all the way from vietnam you know vietnam and making some you know, random route around the world to to land up in Essex. You know, in such mm-hmm. a, a horrible situation of freezing to death in the back of a lorry. Can you think of anything more atrocious? But it sort of caught the you know, it caught the public's attention. And 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 one of the, you know one of the reasons we're doing this podcast, isn't it, is it's to start having these conversations and maybe bring them, introduce them to people that don't spend the same amount of time as we do. Yeah. Um, thinking about these issues and. It's right there on the doorstep. You know, there were there were probably places, and I don't want to speculate because that's not it's not it's not appropriate. But they wouldn't be here without a reason, you know. And and, and there there are probably roles that have been planned out for for the occupants of of, of that lorry. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's it, 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 well, it's devastating, isn't it? And and just to see. Um, you know, hopefully, at least that we can start to to to, to use such a horrible, tragic story to uh, leverage, um, you know, a little bit more government action, perhaps, about how we combat this issue in our country. Well, and just also a lot uh, public awareness as well. Yeah. So and public action around it too. Yeah, it's an absolutely tragic thing, and it's it's literally humans being treated as commodities, isn't yeah. it, in the back of a truck? Yeah. And uh, unfortunately, that's that's what it is, and a human being can be sold over and over again. That's why it's a very lucrative business. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's ab- I mean, the main thing about it is it's absolutely tragic. Yeah. Um, and yes, it's in the media now, but then will it, it be forgotten and, and and moving on? And I hope not. I hope that yeah. this time there is some lasting impact yeah. on that. And it, you know, it's not the first, is it? No. They referenced the tragedy in Morecambe Bay. Was it 15 years ago and, mm-hmm. and, and one in Dover? Yeah. Was it year 2000? Was it or something? Yeah, it was in 2000 in Dover, yeah. and it was more people actually that died terribly. Uh, yeah. I want... I don't want to stop. End on that. <laughs> Gosh. Yeah. I don't want to end the podcast there. And I would love, like always, to identify a silver lining somewhere, a reason to be hopeful. And I want to ask you both, actually, you know, what what does bring you hope? What does make you happy about the world? What are the positive signs that we can be encouraged by? 
<laughs> Please. I think Anastasia's laughing because I am a complete natural, yeah. natural born cynic. Right. So I'm just waiting for her to answer. Yeah, you're going to wait for me to answer. Uh, I think you asked, uh, you know, there would be a similar question if you asked me what, what, what did I not like about the world. My yeah. answer would be many yeah. things. Yeah. Um, so what makes me happy? I, I think there's moments where I get my faith in human nature, which is relatively low, yeah. uh, restored or bumped up yeah. by people showing genuine compassion for others and people coming together and supporting each other, particularly, particularly in times of crisis. Mm. Um, and having that, yeah, having my, my faith in human nature vaguely restored mm. uh, makes me happy. And also um, collaboration, like mm. seeing people collaborate to achieve things and genuinely work together, mm. that, that makes me happy. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Brilliant. Anna Sophia. Well, a lot of things make me happy, but one of them, um, I think, is seeing how people, how people are becoming more aware of helping in any way. Um, it might not be human tra anti-human trafficking in particular. It could be other things, uh, the, the, the climate, other things. Mm. As long as you're doing something that means something to you and that you allow others to do what means something to them. And I think that also a big thing for me is that we you know, work towards the prevention and detection of human trafficking, but also focus on providing opportunities for those who also do it out of desperation yeah. um, and who also get themselves in very sticky situations as a trafficker because they are in situations that are just as well terrible for them as well. So I think it, that's a long-term project, but like for now, just, yeah, doing something to prevent and detect the most vulnerable. It's good to know that you're you're having an impact with with what you do. But we would all dream, wouldn't we, of, of being made redundant? Yeah, that was <laughs> that's I, my goal. That, yeah, that would be everyone's that is goal. My goal yeah. is to be made redundant. Find something else we've Make got to do. Redundant. This isn't an issue anymore. That's yeah, fixed. yeah, sorted that. <laughs> what else can we move on yeah. to? Thank you so much for coming down and and seeing seeing me today. I love stop the traffic. I'm a real big fan uh, of what you're doing and I want to encourage you to keep on the good stuff and, and however we can support you, we want to. Uh, so thank you. Thanks thank for you. having us. Thank you so much for having us. It's My been pleasure. a joy. And the cake is delicious. Yay! Yeah. <laughs> so how was that? I thought it was pretty good, wasn't it? It was certainly really enjoyable for me to talk to those two. What I thought was really interesting was the fact that they both come from completely different backgrounds, but both decided to leave behind a potentially more lucrative career path in order to join Stop the Traffic and dedicate themselves to this issue. I wonder if there are some people listening to this who are considering making that change too. It was interesting, wasn't it, that Sarah first got involved with the organisation by volunteering when she had some spare time, long before a job opportunity came along. I sometimes talk to people who say that they wish they could get more involved, but they don't have the skills or experience to get a job working with an NGO. Why not see if you can volunteer for one? Another thing I really like about Stop the Traffic is the way they have found a need in this issue of fighting human trafficking and quite creatively built a response around that need. That response being the aggregation and application of data and intelligence in order to produce targeted preventative awareness campaigns. There's something really quite humble about their approach, don't you think? It doesn't shout, look at us. And I admire that. 
they're also big promoters of working collaboratively with other organizations and businesses, which we all need to do more. The skills are there. The ability is there. But we need to come together more. Alone, we can do so little. Together, we can do so much. That's not my quote. That is a quote by Helen Keller. But it's a good one, isn't it? Usual thanks apply. Thank you to Soho Radio for the recording space. Um, I want to thank two donors who very generously contributed to our initial fundraiser for this campaign, for this podcast. Um, Sabina and Lauren, thank you for your generosity. This show was produced by Blue Bear Coffee Co. If you want to find out more about us and our coffee and what we're up to, go to bluebearcoffee.com. Check us out. If you're listening to this for the first time, um, maybe you would be so kind as to take a couple of minutes, give us a review if it's a good one, um, ideally a five-star one. Why five stars if we only deserve three and a half or four? Because if it's five stars, it's more of a chance that the whatever platform you're listening to this on is going to promote us. So be compassionately dishonest or... Um, or don't. Um, but just no one stars. That would, uh, that, would, that would ruin my day. Christmas is fast approaching. If you're listening to this podcast uh, around the time that we produced it, um, if you're not, it's not so fast approaching, probably. But I've got an idea. Wouldn't it be brilliant if you bought a bag of blueberry coffee or a keep cup or both? And gave it to a loved one or a friend at Christmas time. Hey, wouldn't it make a great office present if you're doing Secret Santa? I'm rubbish at coming up with something creative. But listen, especially in office, you would tick so many boxes. Everybody loves coffee, particularly brilliant coffee. And it's an ethically and sustainably sourced coffee. And the profits are being used to support three amazing organizations fighting human trafficking. Talk about a box ticker. Um, just an idea. Like I said, we're going to have a little move away from the direct subject of human trafficking in our next podcast. So tune in in a couple of weeks, see what that sounds like, and we'll see you then. Bye.